great gallery on The Guardian this week and uh, 15 different varieties of Sir Alex dressed as Michael Jackson. Good. I like it. Good work. Yeah, I mean, he obviously deserves, he's got a stand named after him. He deserves a statue at Old Trafford. And it's just ironic that it comes in the wake of one of his less salubrious weeks in charge of Manchester United. Somewhat disastrous trip to East Anglia there, Ed. I thought you were going to say Turkey for a minute then. No, disastrous, disastrous trip. And it was all so infuriatingly predictable, wasn't it? So, you know, 45 minutes or so before the game kicks off and out comes the team sheet we have Giggs and Carrick in central midfield and and why while we don't want to criticize each individually as a pair it's pretty much never worked yeah I don't really know how to analyze the Norwich game there was definitely a problem within the team there was definitely a lack of form shown but the decisions were integral to that happening I, I I think if you have problems in central midfield then it makes the whole unit struggle basically because the ball doesn't find the wing as quickly enough uh, there's no cover for the back four um all the service becomes quite predictable um because there's there's not you know there's not that dynamism and fluidity of movement and all that kind of stuff and Cheech and Van Persie up front together from from the beginning which that that was a very logical selection especially Rooney was not available for selection because he had tonsillitis just nothing about that worked I mean Hernandez has been in absolutely wonderful vein of form and he didn't have a particularly good game against Norwich but it's very harsh to criticise him for that I think because he was absolutely devoid of any service whatsoever and similarly RVP had a couple of option opportunities but there was that one air shot which made a quite hilarious gif uh, but apart from that nothing nothing going on an awful awful performances from ashley young and antonio valencia yeah both of them very bad and coming back to the central midfield carrick almost racked up another hundred successful passes i think it was a 99 and a a hundred and a little bit and his usual sort of reliable self there Giggs wasteful I think he was at like 80% which is actually good for him he's he's normally even more wasteful in the final third of course he's supposed to be the more attacking of the pair he was down to 60 something percent so almost half the time he's giving the ball away that handed the impetus over to Norwich even though Norwich didn't have a lot of lot of the ball in the game perhaps only a third of the time they were able to break at pace and and they were quite effective with it And, and United just that word impetus is a good one because United didn't feel like they had any in the game right? and uh, it's frustrating because it, you know wasn't that the same thing we talked about last year when uh, United didn't feel like there was enough oomph about the game and and the defensive side of things I think there was one tackle between Giggs and Carrick in the whole game and a couple of blocks and no clearances between them right so um, and that doesn't say anything about the shape which was a disaster you know it was a complete mess in central midfield in terms of who was protecting the back four so there's, there's no overt defensive work going on there and there's no there's no more subtle defensive work going on there either and and, and so it was you know, always likely to cause United problems and and then a fine goal from Norwich I suppose to cap that one off and and in the end you couldn't really argue that Norwich deserved to win that game they were they were just the better side I mean yeah the, the thing that Scott from the Republic of Mancunia pointed out on his Twitter feed which I thought was absolutely spot on was that Norwich were the better side but they weren't particularly great it wasn't like Norwich had to play to the absolute best of themselves to get anything out of the game they just had to play pretty decent and we were just very subpar I mean they defended in numbers and that meant we had very limited opportunities Pilkington's goal obviously absolute stunner wonderful wonderful header but United just looked completely impotent one one chance from Ashley Young uh, and then a very fine save at the end from Ruddy from someone's header I'm sorry I can't remember who it was 
Yeah, also from his own player, right? Sebastian Bassong nearly scored an own goal. But, I mean, look, Ruddy made a couple of good saves, but I don't think, he, you know, there was any feeling that he was under pressure for most of the game or anything like that. Interesting quotes from Fergie after the game where he said that we just couldn't get a cross in. And I suppose his mind was on that because that's where Norwich scored from. But, well, maybe change the tactics. And, and it brings me to another point, really, which there was some slightly strange substitutions, you know. And yes, I thought that too. Yeah, exactly. It, it didn't It didn't change the game for the better for United. And, you know, it's almost as if we've, we've talked about the central midfield problem so much and everyone else has. And, and Ferguson has repeatedly in one form or another said there's no problem there he's almost become allergic to actually playing the central midfielders we've actually got as cleverly and anderson on the bench thinking what have we got to do to get a game here yeah i mean he brought on skulls which i I can understand that because that's a potentially game-changing substitution albeit i don't think it seemed to be the, the substitution that the game was crying out for i don't think you can ever really really complain if fergie brings on paul skulls i thought that taking off hernandez was a very very odd thing to do because he he wasn't having the best of games but as i said he'd had absolutely no service whatsoever and we were desperate for a goal and he just scored an oodle of goals in a very short space of time so in a very sort of simplistic way it seemed to be uh, quite an odd decision to take off Cheech especially like the, the whole th- the whole thing about that Norwich game is that context is king right so the really odd thing about all those decisions were the fact that it came just before a dead rubber in Europe and nobody had to be fresh nobody had to be rested could have played the best side we possibly got and then you know anyone gets half a knock or something like that just leave them out against Galatasaray Totally, and with some soft home games coming up as well. It didn't seem quite the right game to be making changes and resting players. Scholes came on, he was effective in terms of his use of the ball. Giggs moved left and was ineffective uh, in terms of his crossing afterwards. So, you know, he was ineffective in central midfield and ineffective wide. Yeah, which is sad, right? Look, here's a guy who's 20 years into his, his United career and and it seems to be degrading pretty rapidly at the moment. And he's, uh, No one wants to criticise him. No one wants to see him have that Gary Neville moment but you've got to ask yourself what is he contributing to the team now well the thing is he's sort of having a bit of an extended Gary Neville moment isn't he I mean the last season was not great for gigs he put he had a, a few really shining moments and this season's been worse he's not going quietly into the good night is he he's, he's kicking and screaming he's, he's not reached that point where he feels he hasn't got something to give and he has still got something to give clearly but any criticism that I have of Giggs is entirely about the moment it's about his ability to perform today now I've got nothing but utmost respect for his contribution to Manchester United over the years he's, he is legitimately one of the all time greats there's no doubt whatsoever about that but you know Muhammad Ali was the greatest heavyweight the world ever knew and then at the end it got really rough and and that's sort of what's happening now yeah it's a good analogy and and it's it's pretty sad in a way i mean look here's a contrast that ryan giggs is a year older than david beckham oh no two years older than david beckham and and beckham is going to move on from mls which isn't exactly the highest standard he's probably going to end up playing in china or the mid-east or or australia or something even worse you know and and here's giggs still running out for manchester united at the highest level now that's a compliment to giggs longevity and his ability to perform for united it's also a reflection of the fact that he's perhaps stayed on one or two seasons too long 
This is all said with deep, abiding love for Ryan Giggs. None of this is meant to belittle his achievement. It's just the facts of the day, you know. That's that's all, you know, that's all we ever do. People choose to listen to us, which is nice, but all we're doing is saying what we think about the things that are happening at Manchester United. It's nothing greater than that. There's, you know, and sometimes that's going to be critical because sometimes the things that happen at Manchester United aren't working. But all the criticism comes with context. The most successful team in English football history were the best. This is just sometimes we have a bad game and... and Norwich was certainly, certainly a bad game. Nobody really had a good performance against Norwich. I don't. I can't think of one standout good performance, really. No, exactly right. And and when you go to somewhere like Norwich and lose so meekly, then that's probably the reason why, isn't it? Well, you said sometimes United have a bad game. Sometimes United have two bad games. And moving on to Galatasaray in midweek and, and another pretty ineffective performance, this time slightly different context. And, and as you say, context is king. And this time a United side average age of 23, quite a few young players in there. No one disgraced themselves, but not a wonderful performance from United and another defeat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that he picked a better central midfield in a dead rubber in Turkey than he did in a game we really could have done with winning in the league. Anderson and Cleverley and Fletcher as a three. I'm pretty sure we'd have won against Norwich if we'd run out with that with that lineup. And of course Nick Powell at the head of the diamond. Yeah. He had an all, he had an all right game. I mean, you know, I thought yeah, he got caught in possession a few times and, and that was, you know, I guess just lack of experience. Anderson was pretty dynamic, I, I thought, except he gave the ball away cheaply in the final third, which is a real shame, but he that's always been his problem uh, Fletcher discipline just sat in front of the back four he's not the same dynamic self he, he once was he seems to have lost something and uh, I think that does take away quite a lot from his game so he's just sitting there in front of the back four and, and cleverly pretty neat you know as he always is just weren't able to create enough United to actually get into get a foothold into the game. It, it was all right. The performance there was there was some nice stuff in midfield. Galatasaray, a bunch of little girls, aren't they? With all due respect to little girls, just like blow on them wrong and they fall over and roll around. You know, you got this welcome to hell, but hell populated by you know little wimpy demons that. Don't really have much about them. Oh, there's a brilliant one when Yilmaz dived and Phil Jones just handed him off, and Phil Jones just turns around to him and obviously gives him a bit of Lancastrian verbiage. Yes, which the referee kindly agreed with and and booked the the forward for. You know, yeah, look, there was a load of that going on. Kind of reminded me of. Porto a few years ago obviously a less important game for United and so the intensity level dropped somewhat didn't it and, but nice to see a few a few kids in there Powell did okay good to see Phil Jones back uh, after so long out Welbeck nice to see him get a game he hasn't had very many he had five minutes for Joshua King so kind of mix of fringe players and a couple of young ones not certainly not you know a whole bunch of kids I mean they took a whole bunch of kids out there and most of them didn't play uh, two very old decisions um, but the first to play Raphael uh, that one seemed completely wacky to me to, to, to risk Raphael in that game also Carrick so vital to United I don't I don't know why Fergie did that any, any ideas? Well no I, I mean I guess he must be feeling Raphael's fresh enough at the moment I mean could, he could play Manik Vamati who's, who's been so good for United Reserves over the last couple of years and, and was with the squad but I suppose that would have left United with a very inexperienced 
back five, back four, and back five including the goalkeeper Lingard who's, who's still in. And Carrick uh, kind of strolled around in central defence looking a little bit bemused as always. You know, he's, he's just not quite at the top level. Well, he's quite some way from the top level as a central defender, isn't he? And it also not not nearly his worst game at centre-half. <laughs> no, no, fair enough. I mean, he's starting from a very low base, of course. You know. <laughs> Wolfsburg, that one, that one glorious... Maybe it's just the Champions League. He just likes playing at centre-half in the Champions League. But yeah, I mean... Would you have liked to seen it an even more experimental lineup there, Ed? Or you you were sort of cautioning against that because you didn't want to see a, a, a United youthful United side get absolutely slaughtered out there? Yeah, look. So I don't think Galatasaray are a particularly good side, and their results can show that they hadn't actually won in five games. But you know the atmosphere that's generated a very important game for them. I think that inexperience could have been exposed. So you know if if there were six or seven really young kids in there, that would have been exposed. So look, you can you can pick holes in one or two selections, but I think generally speaking it was about the right strategy from Ferguson to, to give a few minutes to some players who hadn't had any rest key players I mean none of the really key players played did they and United got beaten and that's no real surprise either so uh, it's better than being spanked 4 or 5 nil and, and setting some of those kids back Unlucky not to get something out of that game Nick Powell with a fantastic header against the, the, the bar and it looks a talent doesn't he? I think he's got everything, yeah. I mean, he he gave the ball away a few times trying ambitious balls when he probably didn't need to. But I thought he was good, kind of floating in between attack and midfield. Looks like it might be his position, because quite a bit of competition at United for that position now, isn't there? He's definitely got a talent, a great leap on him for the header... You want to be hypercritical? You should say from six, seven yards out, you should probably hit the back of the net from there, not the not the bar, but still a good effort. And he did all right. You know, how long did he get? He got about 75 minutes or so before Macheda came on, and, and he should be very pleased with that. Powell, that is. Macheda, he's not good enough for United, is he? Oh. <laughs> Amazing that he's still at the club. A very sort of sad to see the general Manchester United fandom response to little Kiko Macheda coming on, of just like, what? Why is he coming on? He He's clearly rubbish. Um, yeah. So somebody saying, Sir, it's a bit harsh on Makeda this. He's just playing about four or five levels above his natural ability. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. And it's a shame because it's, what, three years ago? He's three years ago now that Makeda burst onto the scene actually nearly four years ago. So he hasn't made any progression. It's been unlucky in some respects with injury trouble and not unlucky in other respects in that he has a has a horrible attitude and that kind of shows itself in reserve games quite a bit. So he'll move on, I assume, in January. Another player moving on, Josh King, got five minutes. He's going to Blackburn on loan. Henningberg, obviously the manager there, so the Norwegian connection. Josh King has had more games at international level than... United's first team again he's 21 you know there's a big question about whether he's good enough bags and bags of pace but he's not made much of a breakthrough so far you kind of suspect he won't oh and while we're talking Norwegians we forgot to mention last week Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is second championship in two years in Molder and manager of the year Magnus Wolf Eikram former United player voted player of the year I believe I'm floating around on Twitter today if I caught that one right and so fantastic fantastic for Oli I mean is he going to be in Molder much longer you know it's interesting choice for him next isn't it because he'll be in much demand Gearly sign him up Gearly Gearly sign him up I, I really want Oli to take over from Sir Alex we've had loads of questions there's a lot of Fergie succession talk 
going on this week because Ollie won the league because Eric came out and said he'd take the job if it was offered to him of course he would at Awate 91 asking us who would we rather have as the manager Eric or Kino I think pretty clear on the answer that I'd rather take the unproven artistic genius lunatic as opposed to the slightly uncertain managerial prowess driven to victory at all costs lunatic yeah a couple of lunatics perhaps perhaps they should put them in joint charge (laughs) i can't see anything possibly going wrong with that definitely not no no it's brilliant strategy i you'd have to say that eric in charge would be a total disaster wouldn't it well yeah but it'd be well fun i mean it's it's ridiculous obviously but you know you never know it maybe he'd be the best football manager of all time he is eric after all now i I know it's ridiculous so but the the ollie thing i genuinely don't think is ridiculous at all because i've been asking around a bit about because they're trying to work out what level Mulder were backed to basically because they've never won the league before and he's won it twice in a row and winning the league twice in a row is a huge achievement I think even even very well funded teams have struggled to do that historically and and it's generally been under a very good manager that that they have done that and there's just something about Ollie there's just something about him that makes me think any manager that takes over Ferguson unless it's Mourinho or Guardiola maybe not even Guardiola but unless it's Mourinho it's a huge punt there's one way or another it's a punt there's 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 just no one out there in world football that's done anything like what Sir Alex has done or that's the nature of the beast isn't it yeah there's no one going to take over in the, in the same vein I mean Mourinho is the obvious one because of his level of success wherever he's gone and the personality and the kind of aura that goes with him so he would command respect a lot of people don't like him for many reasons you know the, the drama that comes with him the, the press drama and apparently there are people in the United boardroom that are, are not too keen on that option as well and, and the style of football you know they Real Madrid score so many goals it's quite hard to argue that one anymore Oli someone once said when Gianluca Vialli took over at Chelsea it was like putting a learner driver in charge of, of a Ferrari it would be that you know it's not even a Ferrari an F1 car in United and, and Ollie's just only just out of driving around in Nick Powell's Vauxhall Corsa that's what you're trying to say isn't it yeah something like that yeah he's he's still in his long shots isn't he when it comes to football management and so massive risk and I just can't see the United board taking that kind of risk I mean after all this is this is a beast that's there to drive commercial revenue so that feels like it's very risky would it be safer having someone that isn't going to rock the boat too much yeah but who is that? I mean, who is there? That's the, the that's the question that, that resonates with me every time I think about this. Who exists in the world of football that is a safe pair of hands for United? I don't think anyone is a guaranteed safe pair of hands. I mean, Mourinho will give United three years of some kind of stability, of course. Uh, Guardiola, ah, who knows, you know. I have to, have to say I'd lose massive amounts of respect for the guy if he does take the Chelsea job. And, and we can come on and talk about that one in a little bit. He surely won't. Surely, surely he won't, you know. Aside from that, you know, you look to the senior, senior managers in, in European football, don't you? And and some others that have done really well. And think, you think about people like Jurgen Klopp and, God, it's, it's a, such a long list. But every time we talk about this one, it's evolved. You know, three, four years ago, you might have been talking about Mark Hughes and Steve Bruce's potential successors to United and certainly would have been talking about Roy Keane right now absolutely none of those will get a shot at the job no and you know you wouldn't have been talking about Jurgen Klopp for example yeah and I just pulled that name out of the air you know that you could probably if we actually spent some time thinking about it we could probably come up with a, a list of 10 and, and obviously Moyes would be in the frame there and, and all of that but it's going to be a really tough decision for, for Gill and, and the Glazers 
And Moyes is a really interesting one because it's so profoundly unglamorous and yet you could make, there's a sort of argument to be made that his achievements sort of are closest to what, resemble what Fergie had done before he came to Old Trafford. But, you know, Ferguson won the flipping European trophies with Aberdeen. He won the Scottish Premier League with Aberdeen. Nobody's ever done that. It, I mean, obviously, not literally, but it's, it's he broke up the, the most duopolistic league in the world and it's returned, instantly returned straight back to its duopoly after he left, you know. So, so in the Guardian on Wednesday, Sachin Nakrani, the of... <laughs> Of uh, Twitter fame argues that uh, Rafael Benitez is the perfect choice for Chelsea because he broke up the Spanish duopoly about 10 years ago, admittedly. So so are you making that argument, Paul? Are you saying that the fat Spanish waiter should take over Chelsea? Maybe he's in the frame for the United job. <laughs> That's a fact. No, I'm not saying that. I, Carlo Ancelotti, maybe, if he gets tired of the project at, at Paris Saint-Germain, but, you know, relatively... I mean, I, I think Ancelotti would be a perfectly decent option for United. But, but you know, I just, I'm just i excited by the fact that Oli has won the league two seasons in a row in with a team that don't win the league, or literally have never won the league before, using a combination of youth and experience. And I just... The boy's a winner. He's just... there's. I know how ridiculous it sounds, but if that happened, if he was the manager, the next manager of United, I would just be happy that first day. Because whoever it is, is a massive, massive gamble. I was talking to At Bricky about this um, the other day, and he was saying the thing is about making the comparisons with Aberdeen is Ferguson took over a unrecognisable Manchester United it would have been like taking over I don't know Liverpool now you know team with lots of historic success and the odd cup win but haven't won the league for such a long time and have massive expectation around them so you know that's the equivalent job in England now right yeah, it, very much so. And United were in financial trouble in the mid-80s, ended up selling Mark Hughes, didn't they, at one point in order to balance the books and, and made a lot of bad decisions, had become a cup side and had 20-odd years without winning the league. So, yeah, of course, you know, very very good comparison. I mean, Liverpool are in some serious doldrums at the moment. There's no end in sight to that. I don't think it, the Brendan Rodgers project hasn't really taken off yet and, and they are a cup team, I suppose, and, and they've made some really, really bad purchases over the last few years i mean ferguson got that right just about didn't he in the early days when he was given some money and then invested in the late 80s and early 90s and and that's you know has been the base for united's global marketing dominance ever since and of course their dominance on the pitch let's move on to a bit of a chuckle at chelsea we could have a regular weekly feature called let's have a chuckle at chelsea they've sacked roberto di matteo who won the champions league what a week ago week and a half something like that yeah, six months and one day since uh, Chelsea picked up the Champions League and the FA Cup just before that. So the, look, the interesting thing is about this is that everyone knew that he was going to get sacked at some point, right? I mean, I don't think there was any doubt about that. It was just what was going to be the trigger. I think Roman Abramovich probably felt guilted into giving him the job, didn't he? He won the Champions League and he felt like he had no choice and he clearly didn't ever want to. You know, they were negotiating with Benitez before they gave it to Di Matteo. They were probably desperate to get Pep when Pep went on sabbatical and, and offered him all the riches in the Urals where Abramovich is from and, and it didn't work for Guardiola and now, you know, the 
the inevitable has happened and they'll go on to another manager. What's this going to be, ninth or tenth in nine or ten years or wherever it is? Nine and eight and a half. Yeah, there you go. And it sounds like a porno, doesn't it? You know, which is about as sordid as Chelsea has become as a club. And it, I mean, it's ridiculous, really. It's ridiculous. And it, but it will provide us with some more entertainment because uh, as we speak and we're recording ahead of any official announcement, Rafa Benitez is odds on. <laughs> to take over in the short term at Chelsea absolutely fantastic this is magic I, I, I don't follow them because uh, it's too depressing sometimes but um, I do enjoy having a flick through Rourke Meltdown every now and again on Twitter and today has been an absolutely vintage Rourke Meltdown day a combination of absolutely devastated Liverpool fans devoed and just Liverpool fans convinced that Chelsea are now going to become the biggest force in English football because Rafa's the man to do it you know he won the Champions League at Liverpool which is a very very significant achievement got to another Champions League final was was competitive in the league a lot of the time and he did give Liverpool fans their best time that they've had for a long time but also he made some absolutely stinking transfers didn't he I mean real proper rotters he unsettled their most important player and sowed the seeds for the precipitous downfall that has followed his uh, departure and then he went to Inter Milan where he basically destroyed everything that Jose had built and he had done very well at Valencia obviously but I'm not sure there's anything about Rafa Benitez that should have us all quaking in our boots that he's taken over at Chelsea nothing at all but but then again if you throw enough money at the problem Chelsea will still have some semblance of success you know Avram Grant got Chelsea to a Champions League final prior to that he'd failed at Portsmouth and and Roberto Di Matteo won the Champions League for Chelsea and prior to that he'd failed at West Brom <laughs> maybe it'll work for them who knows the thing about Benitez of course he plays quite a conservative form of football and, and uh, Abramovich has been desperate to have this evolution towards this attacking style he's obviously got some kind of a, a obsession with Barcelona and wants to create a mini Barcelona in West London and, and that's that's why they'll chase Guardiola until Guardiola goes somewhere else. Uh, but he's not going to get it with Benitez. Well, no, absolutely. And it's interesting because Di Matteo has been trying to do that. And, and, you know, the mistake is not sacking Di Matteo, right? The mistake was giving in and hiring him in the first place because he fluked his way to the Champions League and they slipped positions in the league after after AVB left. So Di Matteo didn't really do anything to earn the job, but he was given this kind of fake chance at it because this is absolutely ridiculous to, to sack him. I mean, they started the season so strongly, Chelsea, and did what they've done every season for ages which is collapse in November but yeah Chelsea they're just a joke aren't they and and that's why Benitez is going because he's the best they can get they can't get a better manager than than Benitez who's been out of work for a long time and there's been quite a few jobs that he would have been eligible for in that time that he's not got so you know if you're really really serious about your career and you're you don't really need a job right now then why would you ever ever think about going to join that mob well, the, the Bank of Chelsea, although of course Chelsea have changed their policy now. They they used to pay out the full contract up front and it cost them a load of money. Now they've, uh, with AVB and with Di Matteo, they're just paying them their normal wage for the rest of the contracts until they get a job. So they didn't even pay AVB that much money. A few months wages and, and Di Matteo has a break clause anyway, so they'll pay him to the end of the year as long as he doesn't get another job. I, you know, if I was him, I might be quite tempted to go and sit on the beach for a little while, taking Roman Abramovich's money. Yeah, so uh, I guess we move on to a few uh, Twitter questions. If you could have any United match ever on Beautifully Red, what one would it be? Asks at Ricey San. 
I think that I might choose the 2-0 down coming back. Roy Keane with a captain's goal. You know, you could have Scalzi tackle in the gif away in Turin. That might be quite good. That game against Panathinaikos when there was about 150 million passes and then Paul Scholes scored an absolute worldie. That was a beauty. I'd like to see a gif of that. Pretty much most games that Burb... Were any, oh, that, that Liverpool game where Berbatov scored the hat-trick. Yeah, that'd be nice. Some good selections there. Of course, there have been some great games down the years. So uh, I, I guess uh, one thing about Beautifully Red is it's individual moments rather than the, the game itself, isn't it? There, there was that lovely piece of skill. It's probably on YouTube somewhere where Eric Cantona picks a, a Hail Mary out of the sky and, and just controls it dead and just stops and looks around and look, looks for the pass he can make. Yeah, he wasn't looking for a pass, was he? He was looking around to wait to see where the round of applause was coming from first. At Salil Patak asks, should England play five bowlers in the second test or drop Breslin? <laughs> Question really amused me, uh, not least of which because since they stupidly, on the back of the this, finally the British public got really into cricket when we won the Ashes in 2005, but the ECB sold us all down the river by giving the rights to Sky, so I don't get to watch cricket anymore. It's a real shame. Uh, so I, have, I don't even really know who Breslin is, I have to tell you. Well, he's a slightly rotund Yorkshireman. He's a medium-paced bowler. Well, no, clearly they should play two spinners, shouldn't they? Go- this is England's Carrick and Giggs in midfield moment. Selection has to be key because they got absolutely battered in the first test. So, shall we move on? We don't have cricket on this show. Next, you'll be bringing egg chasing in, and that's when I really do give up. No, don't worry, that's never going to happen. Uh, that's not a real game, is it? At Tom Tomtard asks, who is Valencia 7 and what has he done with Valencia 25? Good question, yeah. It's not been a good month for Valencia. He just seems to have gone a bit tentative, doesn't he? He, he won't take on the fullback anymore. Keeps cutting inside and, and it's not working for him. So, yeah, hopefully he'll come back, you know. He's still he's still Valencia. It's going to happen. Brilliantly, at Man United Future has asked us a question. Phil Jones has been back for one game and we've already got a Twitter question about what his best position is going to turn out to be for United. We're not answering this question again. We answered it 437 times on the podcast last, last year. So, we both think it's central defence but I'm not 100% sure I know what I'm talking about well we should just you know catch one of Phil's gurning moments and then watch which way the wind blows and then maybe that'll tell us absolutely if Benitez does take the Chelsea job asks at the aardvark man when would you guys expect him to next break down on live television somewhere around March time when Chelsea are way off the pace and for a Champions League spot just a quick shout out to at Happy Hero and at Brandon Ulrich too, who both asked questions about Fergie's successor. At Bifurcated underscore MUFC says, please, could we please at some point in the future release a compilation of Rankcast outtakes? <clears throat> no. Hey, what do you mean outtakes? This is all this one shot. We do this first time out the gate. No editing, right, Ed? Right. Yeah. Look, we're serious broadcasters here. Yeah. You're listening to some professionals now. Yeah? Let's move on. At Harry Stevens asks, which member of the current Man United squad would do best in an A-level philosophy exam? This is a question I greatly enjoy, and I've thought about it quite a lot. That's that's not true. I've, I've thought about it a lot for the last three seconds. It's got to be uh, Robin Van Persie, right? Come out with V. He wants to listen to the little boy inside of himself. You know, he's he's in touch with this sort of emotional intelligence side of life. He he posited the theory that neither him nor Rooney were truly a nine or a ten. They were both a sort of metaphysical nine and a half. I reckon that's good. 
What, do you think it's better than fuck this shit, I go McDonald's? Yeah, yeah, quite. I'm not sure Anderson's up to the task. I think there's something fundamentally philosophical about Michael Carrick, right? He divides opinion as much as Kantian ethics versus utilitarian Millsian ethics, you know? that's uh, Fergie, of course, would be a phenomenal philosophy student for A-level, I think, because he would, he would fully embrace the kind of utilitarian, the good of Manchester United is what's important, not the kind of absolute moral right or wrong. It's more like whatever will best achieve his personal goals. That's his kind of ethical perspective. Mm, I'm not sure it's utilitarian, but uh, yeah, we can we have this debate offline, I think, because it could go on for quite some time. Of course, it's, it's utilitarian. It's about the, the f- it's functional ethics, right? It's not virtue ethics. It's the doesn't ask Aristotle's golden question, does it? I'd like to see that one put to Ferguson at his next press conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if anyone was going to give you a good answer to Aristotle's golden question, I think it would be Robin Van Persie. And then a question from at NRD Brennan asking, odds on Fergie leaving this summer? just sense a loosening of his grip and candidates wise to th- 2013 seems like it's a good time to be hiring i just don't know how much do you think it depends on whether we win the league or not ed i think there's uh, no chance i don't think he's got the desire to leave at the moment so no it depends on his health of course you know he was advised not to fly and so he's missed a few games in pre-season as a result so if his health deteriorated for some reason then i might precipitate a a you know a movement in the summer but apart from that i think there's no chance he leaves this summer yeah, no, okay. I think you might be right there. Um, so it's time for a new feature on the show. This is super exciting. Ed, it was your idea, so I'll let you tell the people all about it. Right, yes, well, we put the question out on Twitter and uh, and on the blog. Uh, we have a new section called Rant Back Your Chance to Appear on Rantcast. A 606-style, maybe not live, moderated version. So uh, if everyone would like to either send us a their thoughts under a minute using the plugin on the website or send us an mp3 to cast at united rant or send us an audio boo or use the italk app and and email it to us or any of these other ways of recording your voice and sending us your thought and can be on anything keep it reasonably clean keep it topical and keep it under a minute and the best three of the week will feature absolutely and uh, you said it was called Rantback. i thought we'd agreed that it was going to be called the sir alex phonus son listener feedback segment no. Terrible. Just terrible. Right, mate. Fair enough. And for this very special inaugural Sir Alex Phonus Sun segment, at Rough Estate, mate, with what can only be described as a beautiful version of a beautiful song. We Drink a drink a drink to Eric the King, the King, the King. He's the leader of our football team. He's the greatest centre forward that the world has ever seen. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's our saviour from afar. What a friend we have in Jesus, and his name is Cantona, ooh Cantona, ooh Cantona, ooh ah, ooh ah, 
Very good. So that was our one contribution this week. You know, I, I think the, the listeners obviously don't like this or they're a bit lazy. So anyway, send us your contributions and you could feature. And I guess we should look forward to what's happening next week in the football variety. Mark Hughes has not been sacked. This is marvellous news. Uh, they're letting him take the tonking that's coming for QPR at Old Trafford then, aren't they, Ed? Yeah, it's amazing really, isn't it? He's kept his job, but I, I suppose it's uh, it's only in November or so. Who'd sack a manager this early in the season? Funnily enough, towards the end of the last season, Hughes said that it would never happen again under his stewardship at QPR, that is QPR being dragged into a relegation battle. And they are. And I have no sympathy at all. Not only is Sparky not a particularly nice man as a manager, but his players gave up about 30 seconds too early at the end of last season, didn't they? So they get everything that's coming to them. I'm hoping it's going to be a real thrashing at Old Trafford on Saturday. It is. I mean, I, I don't know. It's I'm so uncomfortable predicting a comfortable win for Manchester United, but you just, I mean, it would take something. I mean, you have to say, QPR will be trying harder in this game than they've been trying recently, you would hope, because a lot of big-time Charlies in that side, a lot of people that will want to prove that they're capable of playing at a higher level, and they've got unquestionably got some talented players in that side, but they were so awful against Southampton. It, I mean, it, it's very difficult. If you didn't see that game, it's very difficult to capture quite how terribly uninterested QPR looked. Certainly one of the most uninterested performances I've ever seen from a Premier League side before Christmas. Yeah, don't look like they're playing for the manager in the in the parlance. What's the best thing they up their game when they come to Old Trafford, though? Well, they will, but then I think I think I do think that one of the reasons he hasn't been sacked is because you know you, you give you get this game out of the way and then and it's a better start for the for the new manager than having to come away to Old Trafford in his first game. I, I mean, I, I guess we're predicting comfortable win for United, right? Yeah, it's not worked for us so far this season when we predict comfortable wins. I, I'm predicting a comfortable win for QPR. <laughs> okay. I'm really, I'm really not. Yeah, of course it's going to be a comfortable win for United. And I hope it's a chance for some of the players who have been slightly out of form uh, to get back into form. And I hope United pick a, the right kind of balance of side. Of course, there's two games in a week, which uh, two domestic games in a week, which is a little unusual. Don't get that too often these days, do we? But uh, West Ham following shortly afterwards. But you'd expect Ferguson to pick a strong side because he's rested so many in midweek. And you'd expect United to go out there and, and get those two defeats out of the system with a thumping good win over QPR because QPR are rubbish. Yeah, and then it's, it's Sam coming to town. Big Sam coming to roll over and have his tummy tickled by his big mate Sir Alex. But this time he's in charge of West Ham, so not not a team we've necessarily traditionally always battered. But you know, it's Big Sam, isn't it? We, we surely we win there, don't we? Win every we want every competitive fixture ever in the history of anything ever that Big Sam was the manager of. Yes, yeah, so, something like that. Yeah, it's a great quote from Sam Analyze this week. He was being asked about. Uh, West Ham's game with Stoke and, and whether there was a similar tactical philosophy and, and he said quote unquote nobody copies Sam Allardyce's tactical philosophy that Sam Allardyce is unique oh dear Sam Allardyce um, I mean, you have to say he's doing wonderful things with West Ham in terms of results isn't he he's doing exactly what you would expect they, they, they play some decent enough stuff at home especially um, and they've got some, some good players who can do, do damage I mean definitely a more serious proposition than a game against QPR isn't it 
Of course. Well, look, they're on the same amount of points as Arsenal. You know, they're, they're only one outside a European qualification place. So they're, they're doing well. They are good at home, West Ham. I mean, of course, they're coming to Old Trafford and, and you'd expect uh, that to favour United heavily. There's been some miserable times at Upton Park over the years. So uh, plenty of fans of our age will re- remember 1992 and all of that, you know. Anytime we get to spank West Ham, which has happened a few times at Old Trafford, is a good one. But I expect this to be a, a tough game. Except, of course, West Ham aren't aren't big goal scorers you know uh, away from home I mean they've, they've done they've done okay at home and, and Andy Carroll isn't exactly pulling up any trees in East London is he no it's not Kevin Nolan though uh, pulling up trees with his elbows by doing that little ridiculous chicken dance he does the worst celebration anywhere in world football I think I find it more offensive than Alan Shearer's stupid one arm in the air thing yeah it's pretty dumb I, I would like to know what it's about I assume it must be Nando's because he's a footballer and obviously they're all sponsored to, to love Nando Except for Anderson, who loves McDonald's, loves it. He does. He clearly demonstrated that to be the case. So I think that probably just about wraps it up for another one of these bad boys, does it, Ed? So before we go, we need to think about predictions. And uh, of course, we have a 100% record in these things this year, don't we, Paul? Yeah, we, we've been our normal, completely 100% accurate, brilliant at predicting United results selves. So, uh, Nostradamus, what do you think it'll be? Uh, I think we're going to beat QPR by three goals to nil, and I think we're going to beat West Ham by two goals to one. Ooh, Sorry, everyone. One, one for the Hammers. Yeah, I- I'm going to go for a radical three nil and three nil. I think it'll be two comfortable wins for United. They are honestly just there are two clean sheets in a row. Have you lost the run of yourself, man? Yeah, well, maybe. And now it's time for us to pick a winner of the Rogues Eleven contest, where you get to win a really, really nice scarf. All right, so uh, after much discussion, well, there's a few honourable mentions we'd like to give out first. Uh, at Tim O'Bevan came up with an excellent one based on alcohol, cheating and opponent hatred. Bartes, Stam, Rio, McGrath, Best, Keane, Ince, Giggs, York, Rooney, Cantona. Impressive and rogues all. One of the funnier ones, at bifurcated underscore MUFC, went for a handsome rogues 11. Bailey, Gene Ev, Laurent Blanc, Ronnie Johnson, Clayton Blackmore, Lee Sharp, Bex, brackets, Captain... <laughs> Giggsy, Eric, Sheringham and Rude. Interesting, interesting taste you've got there. I don't know, I'm not sure I totally go with all of those. Gary Neville, a handsome rogue. He's, he's definitely a ten-pinter, is Gary. A, an excellent one from at Dom McDowell saying, Bosnich, Walwork, Ferdinand, Moran, Mickey Thomas, Keane, Ravel Morrison, Sharp, Cantona, Meredith and Georgie Best. Yeah, no, pretty pretty good. Drinking, drugs, allegedly. Gambling, betting. Might be a bit of domestic violence thrown in there, just for good measure. A very special mention to at Anton Alfie, whose uh, Rogues Eleven was Neville, Keane, Cantona, Rooney, Best, Stam, Brown, Butt, Ferdinand, Schmeichel and the Mighty Bebe, which is a decent Rogues Eleven, but the very best thing about it was he made a stunning piece of artwork, and if the competition had been based on most creative submission, he definitely would have won. But the winner of this lovely scarf is at APT1986, who came up with Bosnich. We all know why he's a rogue and we don't need to mention it. Paul McGrath. Drinking. Norman Whiteside. Drinking. Brian Robson. Drinking. And also... Slightly questionable business dealings, let's see. Roy Keane. Violence. Roy Keaneness. Georgie Best. Drinking, womanising. Dwight York. Womanising. And a bit more womanising. Eric Cantona. Kung Fu kicking fans and poetry. Rooney. Womanising, drinking, urinating. Nobby Styles. Violence. And Ravel Morrison. Violence. Yeah, so congratulations to APT1986 who gets that lovely uh, Savile Rogue scarf and thank you very much to them for giving us a scarf to give away. 
I tell you what, that side would have given Norwich a game of the weekend, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, no question. And then they would have taken them out afterwards and shown them what could be described as a good time if you're into that sort of thing, but equally could be described as an insane, self-destructive spiral into hell. So that does it for another show swiftly wrapping up. If you want to get us in between shows, you can hit us up on Twitter at United Rant for Ed at UTD Rantcast for me. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash United Rant. Hit up the show page at unitedrant.co.uk and definitely leave us a rant back either by going to the site. There's just a little thing you click on and then you just record. If you've got a microphone plugged into your computer, just record a little audio file and send that to us or you can get a file to us in all the different ways Ed described earlier. Or It would be extremely super duper cool if you could hit us up with the review on iTunes because that really helps our chart position and gets more people listening to the show which is lovely and if you want to you can help to contribute to the running costs of the Rankcast by going to unitedrant.co.uk slash donate oh Ed you've been absolutely killing it with the play out song selections the last couple of weeks have you tapped into some hidden vein of secret United classics somewhere yeah yeah I have it's my secret stash got to pull out a classic now and again uh, including this one
school, remarkably cultured. He likes good music and poetry too, performing the fine arts on the field. So the more, oh, and he will. Oh. 